Our reading is from Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. It's on page 825 of your church Bible. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, providing the purpose is good, and to be also and to be so always, and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears her children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, but the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, 
Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, is expressing itself through love. You were running a good race who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for your agitators, I wish they would go on the whole way and emasculate themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Georgie. Let's just pray for Mark as he brings God's word to us. Lord, we give you great praise for your word. Uh, It is so amazing to have your spirit working within us. Uh, Lord, enlighten us, stir within our hearts uh, and change us and Lord, mould us and make us. Um, And Lord, I just pray that your words would be uh, Mark's words and uh, Lord, thank you for his preparation, his thought and uh, his love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, let me add uh, your welcome. You're doing well. It's, um, it's both holidays and it's winter. Sickness abounds, but thankfully um, our God is, uh, never goes on holidays, uh, nor is he uh, suffering any illness. So he will speak clearly to us this morning, uh, I'm sure. Uh, as Russ said, we're picking up in the book of Galatians, a book all about freedom. Uh, let me ask you this. Who is guarding your freedom? Who defends your freedom? Um, there's a clip up here, as you kind of resonate on that question, who is defending your freedom? Have a listen to some wisdom from Hollywood. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. 
I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Freedom. Part of me really wanted to do that Jack Nicholson speech myself. Um, perhaps I couldn't have done justice to it. Uh, it's been observed that the, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Now, I don't agree with everything that Jack Nicholson's character uh, would want to say in that clip, but he is right in saying that the blanket of freedom needs protection and that it is serious business to hang on to freedom, to guard it and to protect it. So who is defending your freedom? I don't mean nationally. Don't Please don't write down a list of every, you know... Uh, member of the Australian uh, Armed Forces, but rather spiritually. Who is guarding your freedom spiritually? See, the the Galatian church, the church we're dropping in on again, uh, is a church that has their freedom in Christ under attack. And they are losing. And we have to face the question, could could that one day be us? Who's going to guard against that? Who's going to protect that freedom for us? See, if if you, in all honesty, don't think that's even a possibility, you're in the greatest of dangers. Because the Christian life is of abundant freedom. You know, we, we, we live knowing Jesus, whose service is perfect freedom. Uh, we're able to, to live the way God designed us. That's what the, the goldfish um, is all about. The, 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 the bowl actually guards the freedom that, that should the, the, uh, the bowl go, yes, for a moment... The goldfish might enjoy, you know, inverted commas, a new experience, but freedom in that way. But it'll die very swiftly. Uh, but rather, staying within the water, within the, the framework of the bowl, its freedom is protected and guarded. It could do what it's designed for. In the same way, we who are in Christ, as long as we stay in Christ, we are safe and protected. But should we move out of him, only death awaits. See, we are free people. We are free to love him. We are free to love others. We are, we are free from the fear of death and the evil one. We are free, and yet the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. And this morning I, I want us to you know, hear and perhaps even handle the truth about our freedom in Christ. You know, to be honest in answering how it is that our freedom is going to be defended. I've got three points for us. Uh, the first two are about why we really need to be vigilant, uh, and the last is what it's going to look like. Uh, so first, Christian freedom can be lost. Uh, secondly, those who want to spiritually enslave really exist. And thirdly, that freedom means compassionate vigilance. Uh, let's first look at how Christian freedom can be lost. So Paul is, is continuing in our section that uh, Georgie read to us from Galatians to, to win the hearts and minds of the Galatians back to him, but more importantly, back to Christ. Uh, and so, as ever, he keeps talking about the joys, the real free, the, the privilege it is to be in Jesus and what our Christian experience is actually like. So in 4, 8 and 9, uh, the Christian is both free and known. 4, 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? So over and over again, Book of Galatians, being in Christ is freedom. We are freely, fully accepted by Christ. Not by anything we've done, but by everything that he has done. And what Paul 
I suppose, outrageously does in verse 8 is, is point out that actually any contribution you try and make, any religious contribution, is actually slavery. Um, he equates pagan idolatry, that's what they used to do. You know, you used to be slaves to those who weren't gods. They used to do pagan idolatry, but now they're being enticed over to this kind of Christless form of Judaism. And he's saying, all of the same, they're both slavery forms thereof. It's, it's offensive stuff to the, especially the first century, the people of God who for, for centuries had said, no, no, it's all, you want to get rid of Christ, whatever form of religion you do, it's slavery. Because only in Christ we're free. And not only are we free, we are known by God, which is just a lovely turn of phrase, isn't it? Not just that we know God, but we know, see, I know who the Queen is. Uh, but despite this being her private chapel in Sydney, we, we have her picture up somewhere. I think it's in Paul's office now. Yeah, it is. Um, we, we have ER2 up on the back wall above there. Um, this is her private chapel here. But I've got this sneaking suspicion she doesn't regularly download my sermons online. You know, I, I, I perhaps have this feeling she has no idea who I am. And that should I turn up to Buckingham Palace one day uh, and call in on her, it may just be she won't let me in. So I know who the Queen is. She has no idea who I am. It's one thing to say that you know God, and that is a great thing to say because not everyone can actually say that. Not everyone can claim a knowledge of God. But isn't it greater to be able to say that he knows me? In Christ we are known. We are known in the way that Psalm 139 speaks of us, how how he knows us intimately, he knows our comings and our goings, Um, he knows our deepest thoughts, they're all laid bare before him. You know, we're known in the way that, that the Gospels, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about knowing his people uh, like, like the shepherd of his sheep and he cares for each one. Like, like invited guests at the banquet, we can go in and we are welcome. We're not turned away because we are known. We're invited to his table to share a meal with him. We are known by God. Or as Paul's just been writing in the previous part of Galatians, we are known because we are those who can call the almighty creator of the universe our father and speak to him as a child and expect to be listened to. We are known by God. What a beautiful thing that is. That's the freedom of the gospel. It's about relational proximity. That is, we can get close to God. We are known and accepted. And yet it can be lost. 5 verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So the Galatians are under pressure to get circumcised, to to join in culturally and become Jewish and to sign up to to have a new system of how they can be more acceptable before God. And Paul is clear. You do that, you sign up for circumcision and you forfeit all the benefits of being in Jesus. You throw it all away. The issue is not circumcision itself. It's the statement it makes. You know, one nick in the flesh and you've made a decision to go for a new system of how you're going to get your status before God. You're, you're moving away from trusting Christ's work. You know, one nick and you are required to keep the whole law. And when, it go, when you move into having to keep law, you've moved away from grace. You have fallen from grace. Grace is a free gift. And the moment you start paying for a free gift, even if you can't pay for what it's really worth, the moment you attempt to start paying, it stops being free. It stops being grace. And so as 4, verse 8 and 9 puts it, it's being enslaved again. You may as well just go become a pagan idol worshipper. 
So the freedom we have in Christ is total and yet it can be squandered when you shift reliance off Christ. And it really does happen. Uh, this is not just theoretical. Um, it, it happens on the big scale. Uh, scanning over church history, denominations have a lifespan. I reckon they've got a couple of hundred years at best. You know, the Reformation had to happen in the 16th century because, you know, the established church had become rotten and corrupted. You know, 200 years later, um, Methodism sprang up from this dead, gospelless Church of England. Uh, and Methodism then just kind of had this huge impact for good and for the gospel. Um, certainly in Australia, in the 1800s, um, Methodism grew rapidly, uh, partly because it, it wasn't constrained to buildings. Uh, so they would just go out and preach the gospel ahead of the buildings, just wherever people were. And so, so it grew and people became... And, then, and yet now... The remnant of Methodism here in Australia, which is the Uniting Church, is the oldest and most rapidly shrinking denomination in the country. And we'd be fools to think that it couldn't happen to us and to our denomination and our church. You know, either we're, we're demonstrating massive trust in God or this foolhardy lack of wisdom in the fact that we centralise all our training here in the diocese in the one place, in one theological college, because history says... You know, institutions squander the inheritance of gospel freedom. We should expect that one day it'll be lost. You know, individual churches do the same. A, a church I, uh, I was a part of had a variety of stained glass windows that um, had been put in at different points of the church's history. And, and as you walked around and read, I mean, I don't know if you've ever done the tour here, and looked at what, what's read on the stained glass windows below, you can, you can learn a lot about what the church was thinking just from the inscriptions and the pictures. Uh, and going around this old church, you could see the cycle of theologies that this church had been through. You know, we would be fools to think that our denomination or even our church is immune. And what's true on that macro level is true on the micro, isn't it? You know, we know those individuals who exchange freedom of Christ to be enslaved by you know, principles of this world. You know, the woman who indirectly signed me up for a summer mission team uh, she gave up on Jesus uh, to live with uh, a man who didn't love Christ. Uh, the writer of an excellent commentary I'm doing, looking through at the moment in the book of Galatians, uh, he himself has left Christ since uh, to be with the man he loved and left his family to. And perhaps even more dangerous is not those who leave the church. The most dangerous place in light of what Paul is writing here in Galatians is those who never leave the church but still manage to leave Christ. So these, the Galatian people haven't left the church, haven't gone and caused chaos over there, they've caused chaos inside the church and yet they've moved away from trusting Christ. You know, the most dangerous position is those who stay in church and yet over time they, their eyes turn more and more away from what Christ has done and more and more to themselves and what they are doing. You know, they, they see the work of the Spirit to, to produce good works in their life but they don't let the pride go unchecked and they gradually shift away to themselves and self-satisfaction and self-dependence builds rather than, uh, as I've tried to keep reminding us, rather than depending on those those nails that we carry in our pocket. I just dropped mine. I was going to bring it back out. A few weeks ago, I gave you a nail that in the same way that Luther said we should be carrying around the, the nails of Christ's cross in our pocket to keep reminding us of what our sin had caused and, and also what Christ's work had done and done away with, keep hanging on to them so that every time you go for the keys, 
You recall the work of Christ because the moment we move away from them, freedom is lost. And so we must be vigilant. Because it's not just that it can be lost. There are actually people out there, and secondly, those, those people who want to spiritually enslave us, they actually exist. There are people there, that's, that's who Paul is battling. He's battling this particular group of people, the circumcision group, uh, who, 4 verse 17, they are zealous. That's great, isn't it? It's good to be enthusiastic. No, no, they are zealous to alienate people from Paul and therefore from Jesus Christ. You know, their work is not an accidental work. They're, they're intentionally dragging people away from freedom into spiritual slavery. And Paul says this is not particularly surprising. Um, he's kind of extended illustration in, verse, in chapter 4, 21 to 31. Um, he does this extended illustration from the scriptures about the children of Abraham. So on one side you've got, um, this case it's, it's not about Abraham as dad, but it, it's who your mother is spiritually. Um, on one side you've got the children of the slave woman, Hagar born naturally under the old covenant, under the old way of relating to God. They are bound to to Sinai and earthly Jerusalem. That is, they're bound to doing things to get right with God. And on the other side, you've got the children of Sarah, the free woman. Children born not naturally, but the result of God's promise. Part of the new covenant, part of the heavenly city of God. Uh, Why does he bring this illustration out? Because he's got a point in verse 28. Um, You brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. And at the same time, the, sorry, and at the time the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit, and it is the same now. Yeah, there is a massive divide between those who try and work their way to please God and those who are already accepted completely because of Christ's work, and those over here of the, the, the slave system who try and work it want to persecute those who live in gospel freedom. And they want to pull them out of it. Why would they want to do that? Well, because grace is a stumbling block. 5 verse 11. Flick the page over. Brothers, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. See, grace is offensive. The cross uh, is the living God being shamed and us with him. Grace says that you didn't contribute a single jot to your salvation. Grace says you contributed absolutely nothing. Grace is scandalous in saying, actually, you're not that good. But even more, grace is scandalous in saying, who's welcome? Anyone's welcome. Not the right kind of people who we'd like to hang out with. The wrong kind of people are welcome. Uh, As someone uh, put it once, if a preacher is speaking about grace regularly and never feels a complaint from someone saying, oh, you're just making it too easy for people, well, then grace isn't being clearly preached. Because it's just offensive. It's offensive to those of us who want to make even a small contribution. And the scary thing is those who want to operate on a system of them earning their place with God will go out and they will persecute and they will try and take people away from real faith. So it's true that um, Christians come under uh, you know, fire and under mockery from those outside of the church. Um, I've noticed, uh, uh, you know, increasingly how um, Christopher uh, Dawkins, Richard Dawkins' uh, blasphemous title, if you know it, he talks about God being the, the flying spaghetti monster. Uh, it's becoming kind of widespread amongst angry atheists. They're, they're drawing up more. We should expect that. 
But so often, the fiercest and most dangerous opposition to grace comes from within the church. Our Paul, our, our Paul, not the Apostle, uh, shared in the evening service a couple of weeks ago uh, how he was refused ordination back in the UK. Uh, that unless he stopped preaching the cross of Christ, unless he stops preaching to people that they would be saved by Jesus' sacrificial death alone on behalf of their sins, that he would not get ordination in that particular diocese in the UK. You know, praise God, Paul still preaches Jesus and um, our government welcomed him and he's an Australian citizen. <laughs> you know, a church I went to work for uh, in the past had a, a significant power block that prided itself on ecumenical credentials. You know, that they had kind of a form of religion that, that put away the distinctive, uncomfortable edges of the cross. The, the bits that made the cross offensive and exclusive. Uh, and before going there, I received an anonymous email and had this line. You should know that not all members support your coming here. Many are against it. They see no need of you. There's a warm welcome, isn't it? Wasn't on a banner when I arrived, thankfully. Um, yeah, we mustn't be naive. There are people who really don't want the true gospel to persist and they exist here in churches. And so we must be vigilant. You know, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance and those who want to spiritually enslave really exist. But who needs to be vigilant? Who's going to defend that freedom? My final point, what it looks like. Freedom means compassionate vigilance for us all. Uh, let me pick out two features of that. Um, first, we've all got to be vigilant resistors. We all must stand firm and resist any attempt for people uh, to put on us yokes of slavery, to rely on ourselves, to take us away from Jesus. 5 verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. See, Paul's clear. Um, Christ died so that we might be free and we have to defend against anything that undermines it. See who the instruction is to? It's not to the leaders of the Galatian church. If anything, it's actually written against those who are in leading and influential positions in the Galatian church. It is written to ordinary, everyday, normal, entirely freely, fully accepted Christian people. People like you, that's who it's written to. It's their responsibility to stand firm in the freedom of Christ and to defend it and to be vigilant resistors. You know, as I've spoken this morning about denominations and the history of the church, uh, whole churches going off the rail. Were you, were you seeing your role in that? Defending against that. Defending the freedom we have in Christ. Because you know, it's not left up, the defence of the freedom of Christ is not left up to a, a small band of paid workers who stand on some imagined wall. You know, don't trust anyone, don't even trust me to alone defend the freedom we have in Christ. You know, it's, it's not my job alone to provide that kind of blanket of freedom. You, you must stand firm. You, know, you need to do that hard work of, of prayer and the hard work of reading the scriptures and of reading serious Christian theology so that you are better equipped for the task. 
you know, go to the Simply Christianity course if um, that will help you be better equipped for it. If you want to clarify the essentials, you know, download those sermons onto your iPod for, you know, when you travel to work and when you go for a jog. I presume that's what people do when they go jogging. It's got to be a reason somewhere for going jogging. You know, do that so that when you hear messages that sound like they're compromising the work of Christ, you will be there to ask the questions and defend. Yeah, do it graciously, do it gently, but ask. Do it so that when you see within yourself that increasing self-reliance, that, that alienation from Jesus, you will step in and you will act. Because it's all our responsibility to be vigilant resistors. Because if we don't, 5 verse 9, that little yeast will spread throughout the whole batch. That's how the church goes off the rails. And secondly, let me encourage you to be compassionately vigilant. You know, yep, don't leave it up to others, but, but also don't just look to yourself. Um, the whole pattern of this letter is just Paul's compassionate concern for them because he's worried. He sees people losing their freedom in Jesus and he has to act. Now, I'd want to say, if you read through Galatians, I don't think it's... Paul is not very well structured here, to be honest. It's not like Romans. Romans is an excellent, well-structured, logical book, but this is a bit bitsy. Um, there are points of his logic that's just kind of all over the place. And I suspect Galatians is like that because it just bubbles with emotion. He's kind of worked up. He's not kind of cool and rational when he's putting it together. And especially it's, it's bubbling with compassion. Look again at the language he uses. 4 verse 11, I fear I've wasted my efforts. Verse 12, I'm pleading with you, become like me that I might become like, as I became like you. Um, and, and again, verse 19, my dear children of whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone. I'm perplexed about you. Now, you know, it's always a foolish man who wants to draw an illustration about I've been in childbirth for you. Uh, he's clearly not speaking from experience. Uh, it's, it's the passion speaking. Um, and even there, technically, the, the construction of his sentence is really messy. He gets the phrase wrong. It, it's kind of, I'm in the, the labour pains to make you an embryo in Christ again. He's, he's kind of literally what he's doing. He's messing it up. Why? Because I think he's getting passionate and the logic is giving way to, to rhetoric, to passion and enthusiasm. Yeah, and, and that kind of care, that kind of compassion for people, that kind of concern for other people's spiritual freedom is really costly. Um, it's emotionally costly. You can see here it in Paul's writing how he's just perplexed and exhausted and worn out over them. And, and it, it's, it's costly in terms of reputation. Verse 16, where Paul's kind of saying, oh, am I now your enemy? He just kind of sounds a little desperate trying to defend himself. His reputation has been lost and yet he still kind of pathetically keeps going back to them. He won't let him go, even though they're kind of looking down. Yeah, that Paul, we used to like him. Now, I certainly felt that twinge of not wanting to call someone who's wandering from Christ because it just feels just a little pathetic to keep ringing. They've kind of made it clear. They haven't said it, but it's pretty clear. They don't want to be followed up anymore. But our vigilance must be compassionate, even when it costs, even when it costs emotionally, even when it costs... In terms of real reputation, just keep persisting in caring for others. Someone told me how um, they love the city of Johannesburg but would find it hard to live there. Uh, it's a disturbing place in the sense of uh, you've got comfort in the heart of the town but 20 minutes down the road you've got these shanties uh, and the kind of 
desperate plight of people and to live in a place like that where you're just so aware of their desperate plight is you know, uncomfortable, whereas we live in Sydney and you kind of go, people in desperation are such a long way away, we can kind of live quite comfortably, not worried about that, without the demands of compassion. And, and I worry if that's what we're like with the spiritual state of our neighbours, that we'd rather, we'd rather keep living ourselves in Christ and not see the, the shanty towns of other people's spiritual lives, rather just be ignorant of it. But compassionate vigilance asks more of us than that. You know, we need to actually step in and preserve the freedom of others, to stand on the wall for their, on their behalf. A woman I know uh, left a big church here in Sydney um, that she doesn't believe preaches the freedom of Christ. Uh, but she keeps up with the friends who are from there and she writes them emails and letters and sends them podcasts and sermons to keep trying to persuade them back into the gospel. Another friend I know has done a similar thing. He worries about how he's got these friends from a former church who aren't maturing in Christ. And so he challenges them to, to keep reading the word. You know, that's compassionate vigilance. You know, I need to ask, who is it that you are as worked up about as Paul? Who are you so concerned about and vigilant for? Who are you watching over to make sure that no one you know is going to be tempted away from freedom in Christ? You know, do we as a congregation know how one another is spiritually? Would we, there to, would we be there to defend one another? See, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But the price of freedom is eternal vigilance. I trust you can handle the truth. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for what we have in Jesus, that we are truly free and we are known by you. Father, we bring before you those we know who have wandered away from that freedom and have started depending on themselves. We ask that in your mercy you would bring them back to trust entirely on Christ. And Father, give us the strength to be vigilant, to keep watching, to keep hanging on to the freedom we have in Jesus and not allowing any yoke of slavery to come in. Guard us and guard our church for the glory of Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.